The opinions expressed in this podcast are individual and are not necessarily representative of Spirit Live or Toronto Metropolitan University. Welcome racing fans to another thrilling episode of F1 Mailbag Madness. I'm Alexa and I'm here to dive headfirst into the high octane world of Formula One alongside my fantastic co-host Marshall Crocker. That's right Alexa, I'm Marshall, your fellow Formula One enthusiast and I can't wait to unpack all the excitement, the drama and all the adrenaline pumping moments that this incredible sport has to offer. Well, if you're new to the show, Mailbag Madness, this is where we bring you the latest in Formula One news, dissect the most exhilarating races and share our in-depth analyses on the drivers, teams, and everything else that makes Formula One the pinnacle of motorsport. That's not all, folks. We also have something special in store for you. This show is all about you, our fantastic audience. We're going to throw open the doors to our virtual mailbags. You can send in your questions, comments, and insights. That way we can answer your burning questions and share your opinions on the air. So whether you're a diehard F1 fanatic or just dipping your toes into the world of racing, Mailbag Madness is the podcast that's got it all. From the twists and turns of the track to the inside scoop on the personalities and stories behind the helmets, we're your one-stop shop for all things Formula One. So buckle up and get ready for a wild ride through the world of Formula One. This is Mailbag Madness. Welcome back, everybody, to the second ever episode of Mailbag Madness. I'm your host, Alexa Kosvik. I'm here with Marshall Crocker. Marshall, how's it going today on this uh, Friday afternoon? It's going solid. It's been a, been a busy week, like I'm sure it's been for all the teams coming out of uh, Coda, but uh, doing pretty solid. Yeah, you know we all have a triple header, and I guess for starters, let's kind of recap what we saw uh, in America last week. So I guess for starters, Marshall, what were your thoughts on the race? Um, I thought it was pretty entertaining, to say the least. As I mentioned in the first episode, any race that Max Verstappen does not win by 30 seconds is a good piece to me. As we know, before the disqualification, I think Verstappen only beat Hamilton by a second. So I guess kind of give me your initial thoughts. And uh, what did you think of Mercedes and McLaren uh, challenging uh, Red Bull for the first time in, I guess, forever? Yeah, obviously really promising. Um, I think the the biggest thing for me is I think of Coda as a track, when I say Coda, Circuit of the Americas. I think uh, I think of Coda as a track that is very middle of the road as far as race quality. It, it hasn't had any truly great bangers since it uh, entered the calendar in the kind of early to mid 2010s, but it also hasn't had any like true stinkers. I mean, there were a couple there in the, the peak, you know, Hamilton bought ass Mercedes years that weren't the best, but um, I think it's a race that always produces pretty fun passing opportunities. It's got obviously the long backstretch and the, the upstretch up the hill is always fun on restarts. So I think a track that just makes for fun environments. And I think the biggest thing for me that makes this um, one of the best races we've had all year, which again is a low bar for those of you that aren't a big fan of the max domination, but um, is it, it's, it's a situation where I, I know that Max wins, uh, grabs another one. I actually don't know his tally on the season. It's becoming hard to keep track at this point. But the fact that he didn't feel like the car in control is what, what excites me. And, and I think anybody who watched that race will tell you, uh, Lando Norris early on looked like the guy. It looked Absolutely. like it may be a real opportunity. I was getting texts from everybody like, is, is this the race? Is this the one he finally does it? Um, and, and just the fact that that optimism is there is uh, is really, really exciting. I, I know towards the end, uh, it was clear with the Red Bull. He was saying on the radio, you could hear Max talking about um, – like we're, we're saving our stuff. We're keeping it calm. And I think that is the scariest thing Lando could have had. I think if Max was pushing a little bit harder, um, cause clearly the, the other cars were competitive. The guys he was trying to pass from fifth and quality uh, or fifth on the first lap, sixth and quality up to first. I think it, it was definitely, definitely a lot tougher than maybe even he was expecting. And you got to consider the max brake issue too. I know the other thing to talk about is Hamilton, that Mercedes race pace on a long term, really, really good. Amazing. They look great. It was really good. Um, yeah, truly awesome. But I, I just think that uh, that, that brake issue, I think, plays into it a little bit more than maybe the optimism around the Red Bull car um, should imply. But no, I thought it was a great race. I thought it was well earned by Max. I thought 
drives like this, I think, are what's really going to get him some credibility aside from the um, the car, you know, surely being the best standpoint. And uh, Lando, I mean, my, my prediction last week is looking pretty solid, eh? You know, Lando over yeah, uh, Alonso over Fernando. <laughs> He's 17 quality for Alonzo. Orlando just absolutely knocks it out of the park. It was it was a great weekend, and I'm, I'm optimistic for the pace for not only just McLaren, Mercedes, but uh, Ferrari as well. Well, up until the point that Fernando Alonso retired, he was having a pretty good race. I mean, he pretty much climbed up from P17 all the way into the top 10, like within 20 laps, which is pretty impressive in my eyes. And I mean, even Lance Stroll, we've been criticizing him all year, and he ended up having a pretty decent race, even after the, the, the disqualifications moved up to P7. So... Pretty interesting to see that. The, the funny thing about this race was that the three guys that you and I synonymously make fun of, Sergio Perez, Logan Sargent, and Lance Stroll, all had pretty decent races and all finished within the points. And Logan Sargent technically did finish in the points, okay, Marshall? So I'm yeah. giving my guy credit. We'll, we will have a good American driver, even if he's not from IndyCar. So yeah, your, your prediction has been proven wrong, and he will score points again in the Vegas Grand Prix. And that no. was my previous prediction, but... uh. I mean, no. the, 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 yeah, the thing with Mercedes, I was I was kind of talking to my dad when him and I were sitting next to each other and watching the race, like Hamilton's ability to kind of pick up speed in those high speed corners was really, really, really impressive. Like I I saw it with like the, with, with a few laps remaining, just every time he, he would throw his car into those high speed corners, he was slowly picking up on Max. And you touched on something really interesting about like Verstappen and Red Bull and how not only have they been, been given credit because of their superior race pace and obviously with Verstappen being the best driver on the grid, arguably, I think their reliability has also been very impressive to say the least. And the fact that this is the first time in maybe 10 or 12 races that we're actually seeing Red Bull have issues with braking or, or, or whatever, or whatever is, sure. is, is really, really, really impressive because- And they still won. Yeah, absolutely. Like we'll, we'll look back on it now and say, oh, you know, he even won with the, with the issues that he was suffering at the, at the tail end of the race. But I think with Verstappen, uh, Red Bull's ability to, to 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 bring a car every weekend that isn't going to break down and have issues is is what's been pretty impressive to me. They're, like they're them losing points on, on a weekend was okay. Obviously, we had Singapore where where the um, where their car didn't suit the characteristics of the track. But I think even with like Perez, like them losing points was just him having bad qualifying. It wasn't it wasn't the car breaking down. It was him either shunting it or just having a bad qualifying. But I one of the things that jumped out to me was Mercedes's upgrades now. I guess like one of the things I noticed, and I just touched on this a minute ago, like Hamilton's ability to kind of swing the car into the high speed corners because of the upgrade package that Mercedes brought, like it gave him a lot more rear downforce at the end of the car. It, like it's a polar opposite circumstance from what we saw in Suzuka where like Mercedes, like they pretty much looked uncomfortable in that entire first sector that was like flooded with high speed corners and the car just looked stiff. Yeah, and they were pretty much only picking up pace when they had like the low speed corners or the, or the hairpin or when they were going on the straights. And yeah, the car just looked less stiff to me in, uh, in, in Coda than it did in Suzuki and all the other, you know, high speed tracks that we've, that we've had in the past. And I think like, not only did Mercedes prove this, but I think also McLaren, like they proved that they're on the right track and they're pretty much one upgrade package away from, from challenging the Bulls. Like even like with the race pace that you talked about with Mercedes, like they, they showed really good race pace and they were quickly catching up to Verstappen at the tail end of the race even when Max was in clear air. And we know like Verstappen has become so synonymous with like garnering a 30 second uh, lead when he's like, um, when, when, when he's in clear air and when he's leading a race and like, just see like yeah. Hamilton picking up the pace at the end and only finishing like one second off, off Verstappen was, was, was pretty impressive to me. And of, of course with McLaren, you know, challenging at the beginning of the race was, was also very impressive. I think Lando got a great start and obviously that helped with Max, uh, starting the race in P6, but I think with with his driving and, and his ability to kind of challenge Max as well, I think like 
you know, we'll, we'll start to see in 2024 that Mercedes and McLaren might be, you know, the odd race winners or maybe even challenge Red Bull for the constructors of the drivers. But I guess, Marshall, you want to add anything else? I think I touched on everything. Maybe maybe even on the Ferrari strategy that we saw again with the one stop on Leclerc. Yeah, I just, it, it, it's getting to the point with, <laughs> with Ferrari where I think their problem with their strategy really is their, like, almost eagerness. And they have this weird aggression where I feel like for such a long time, they've been trying to overcome the issue, but like a swinging pendulum, they're trying to go too far the other way where they get, they often get talked about a lot as they are, um, they're poor at making calls. They don't have a strategic vision for the long race. Um, and, and for a long time, if you think back to the mid 2010s when Ferrari was really struggling prior to Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen kind of reviving them um, for those couple of years, they just, they were so lazy with their strategy. They just, they felt behind the eight ball. They weren't making good calls on tires um, or just general, like even they were running cars into each other, they were double stacking. And their problem over the years has become they get too aggressive and they try to go for these like big strategies that the rest of the field doesn't copy. And if you ever watch a race, most likely the team that's doing the alternative strategy is either them or Mercedes. Mercedes. But Mercedes is such a winning culture and a great group of race strategists that they always seem to make those calls that, well, occasionally their drivers like Lewis and Russell don't love them, um, have definitely got them some podiums, especially when that car hasn't been quite as quick. And I just, I, I don't understand it. The other thing too is one of Ferrari's biggest issues is the way they treat the weekend. They don't focus enough on uh, on race pace, straight up. If you ever watch, a uh, great way to check is to watch like the F1 YouTube, uh, the summaries of the highlight packages for the practices. Just check in, see what laps they ran. They usually have a list of how many laps drivers run in practice. The Ferraris don't run a lot of laps on on the race tire, which is often their issue. They don't know their actual um, race stints and they don't have as, as accurate data. As like the Red Bulls, they might do one or two laps on a soft tire in a weekend up to qualifying. And they have all this data on the race pace because that's what they're worried about. Ferrari gets so worried about qualifying, they don't worry about the race and then just, you know, have no idea what their tire life is like. And that's how it leads to week weekends like this where, yeah, stupid strategy call. Then you talk about their issues with the ride height that led to the DQ for uh, both Leclerc and Hamilton. Just It's just sloppy and they're trying to get aggressive and they just need to trust their car. And if you can't trust your car, you should already be focused on next year and making your package better because their driver lineup is good enough. They should be winning at least one race more than they did this year with science. It's just it, it, it's frustrating and in, in a very aggressive, over the top kind of way. Yeah, really sloppy on there. And I feel like they would have known that their tire strategy wasn't going to work when they saw a Mercedes car that is better on their tires pit after realizing that they weren't going to make it to the end on the hards. And Ferrari, I guess, looked at that and thought, well, maybe we should try, even though they know that they're one of the worst cars uh, when it comes to when it comes to like their tire strategy and managing their tire wear. I think also with uh, with Leclerc, it's funny because, you know, you know, I, you, you know, I, you know, I love stats, but Leclerc apparently now has the most poles without winning a, a world championship. So I what you yeah. just said makes perfect sense. They're clearly putting more emphasis on their qualifying than their actual race pace. And I think given like Le, Le, Leclerc's record uh, or, or like poles to win ratio is is absurd. It's brutal. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's it really awful. is crazy. I think I think I mean Bottas obviously is up there because he was obviously in a superior race car, but I think I think Leclerc now you, you you make such a great point with that like they're putting so much more emphasis on their qualifying rather than their actual race pace, and I don't think they're going to be able to actually challenge for a championship because they're clearly now the fourth best car after a uh, Red Bull, Mercedes, and McLaren, but they're not going to be able to challenge for any more wins or any championships until they fix that issue. 
Um, I Your guess, stat like, of the day, too, just a fun fact. Uh, Verstappen has a higher win percentage from 10th or uh, further back than Leclerc does from pole. It's crazy. And I, I think what Leclerc and Verstappen, in terms of pulls, they're not even that far off. I think Verstappen only has a couple more, more pulls than Leclerc. And then you look at their win ratio and you look at their uh, uh, world championship ratio, you know, 3 to 0. I don't know how many Leclerc uh, wins. I don't know how many wins Leclerc has. I think he has five and Verstappen's on, I'm not 50 now. So, yeah, it, it, it is pretty crazy. And I guess like one more one more thing before we move on. Uh, what did you think about McLaren's pace? I, I I touched on this a little bit earlier, but clearly I think uh, Mercedes did have the better race pace than McLaren. But do you think that McLaren can also be one of those title challengers to Red Bull next year along with Mercedes? So I, I personally haven't given up on McLaren yet. And the reason I say that is because Coda has always been a, a, a Mercedes track um, until... Until recently, really, Lewis Hamilton's throughout his dominance. They've always been good there. Uh, you talked about the rear downforce. That's huge at, at Coda. Um, there are some long straightaways, but there's a lot of really long, sweeping, um, high-speed corners, whereas the McLaren we've seen multiple times this year uh, has really thrived on those tracks with a lot of 90-degree corners. They were good on the street circuits. Um, I, I think it's just a different skill set, different package. I think... I think Lewis, because obviously he knows the track, but I think he's just flat out better at Coda than Norris is. I think that is part of the pace, maybe give about three or four seconds of their gap to that. Um, but I, I genuinely think looking forward to, uh, by the time we're recording this, it's going to be Mexico next week. But by the time this comes out, the race coming up at, uh, at Brazil, um, I think Mexico will be a really good track for the McLaren. Uh, and I think um, Brazil will be a really good track for Mercedes. So I don't think it's necessarily, oh, McLaren's out of there. They're not a top three or four car anymore. I just think it's... Um, this happened to be a really good track for Mercedes and I think better for their drivers as well. But I still trust Norris' pace. I think I, I don't think third's going to be as, as ceiling the rest of the year. Um, in terms of race finishes, I think he could absolutely pull a second. I wouldn't bank on a win, but would not be totally surprised if it happens. I would give anything for Lando Norris' win right now. Agreed. It seems like we'll, yeah. regardless of what gets thrown Max's way, he always seems to win. We saw that in Zandvoort with the, with the heavy rain that was pouring down and they ended up getting red flagged and he still ended up winning the race. I mean, think about anything that could have been thrown his way to, to ruin him from, from garnering that win streak and, and he still managed to, to get the win. And obviously we see him a couple times, you know, starting P6, P5. Um, I guess uh, he had a couple of um, uh, grid drops because of the, of the mechanical change they made to the car and he still ended up winning the race. And, yeah, he, he's just been impressive all year. And, and that kind of plays into our next segment because I guess we want to give you guys our quick predictions for the Mexican Grand Prix and the Brazilian Grand Prix. Now, Marshall, I guess for starters, are you uh, thinking that Verstappen will win both of the races or do you think we might see some unexpected surprises given how close we saw McLaren and Mercedes and Coda? Yeah, I, I think I think Mexico is... I would put Verstappen down. I'd put money on it. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, I... I'm not as hyped on on Perez at, Co or at uh, Mexico as a lot of people are. Um, it's a home race, Marshall. Come on. <laughs> feel good story if he pulls out third, but I just, I just don't see it. I think Guy finishes fourth or fifth, which at this point for him is a good race. But Absolutely. I think Brazil, that's the question. Uh, I would almost... You consider the whole grid. I, I'm going to put it maybe a 70% chance for Stappen wins Mexico. I'm pretty certain on that. And you'll know by the time this comes out. But um, Brazil, I think... I would put it closer to the 40 to 45% range. I actually think it is more likely the field wins versus max. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about it, I'm sure, but I think I, I'm looking for a good Mercedes weekend. Um, and this is a track that suits both Sainz and, uh, and Norris well, and I don't think it will for Perez. So I think it's going to be a case of, I don't think I, I, he won't have teammate help for max. I don't think. And I just don't know if, pace is as good historically he hasn't been as good at brazil as most tracks and that's a brazil's been on the calendar for ages that's one the veteran guys are going to know quite well like a hamilton so 
I'm less confident in that. I, if I had to guess, I had to pick a driver. I think he wins both, but Brazil's the one I'm curious about. I mean, oh, for your take though, you think Where it's going to be a clear Mercedes sweep? Or? are probably going to give a fight to Max at the Brazilian Grand Prix. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, I mean, look, the, the thing with Mercedes, I think uh, what, what we saw earlier in the season as well, when Mercedes brought that first big upgrade package to Monaco, I think it took a while for Russell to actually kind of get used to that new upgrade pack package compared to Hamilton. And we saw that in code as well. You know, uh, Mercedes brought a, brought a different floor and newer floor that was going to give them a lot more rear downforce at the end of the car. And it just seemed like Mer uh, Hamilton had more confidence of throwing it into the high speed corners than Russell did that. That kind of went went to show in, in qualifying and also in the race pace as well. So I'm thinking for the Brazilian Grand Prix and I'll, I'll jump back to Mexico because I've been I've been waiting to talk about this pretty much all week, but I will probably go with Verstappen again. Uh, in P1, I'll take Hamilton in P2 and I'll give Norris the P3. And I'm thinking we'll probably see the same thing in Mexico as well. I just, I do think that they they not only have the three best cars, but they're also the three best drivers uh, on the grid currently, given the machinery, machinery that they've been given. So yeah, I, I, I'm i picking the same top three in, in Mexico and Brazil. Um, I, I, I just really want to see Lewis Hamilton bounce back. It's been two races in a row that he hasn't scored any points. Obviously, we, we had the sprint where he, where he scored, I think, a, a total of like 14 or 15 points, but... That was just so unfortunate what happened to him in code. I think if, if they if they analyzed the rest of the grid and, and, and did a post-race check, we probably would have seen the same issue uh, with everyone else's car as as, as we saw with uh, Leclerc and, and Hamilton. Maybe not the entire grid, but obviously their teammates. I think they probably would have would have been given the exact same penalty, which meant more Logan Sargent points, Marshall. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just think it, it's kind of unfortunate that that we have to sit here and talk about, you know, Verstappen winning in your race as much as we like him. I think, you know, regardless of, and I mentioned this earlier, like regardless of what gets thrown in his way, he always seems to come out on top, like regardless of the track layout and regardless of the strategy that Red Bull ends up implementing uh, race to race, he just always seems to feel at one with the car. And he's again, out qualifying his teammate, uh, putting up, you know, 20, 30 second leads. We didn't see that in Coda, but we might see it at the Mexican Grand Prix. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a track that not only historically suits the Red Bull machinery, but Verstappen has just also been really good at. And given that it's not a sprint weekend, I feel like uh, they're going to have enough time to to. Uh, put their put their car in the in, in the right space where we might be able to see another you know Verstappen dominant victory as we did throughout the rest of the season I feel like with the spring weekends you might get a little bit more unpredictability because teams don't have enough time to put, put the right package on but I feel like now with the Mexican Grand Prix it, it's going to be a Verstappen dominant showing and then again like you said Brazil's the one that you and I are both up in the air about I still do think that Verstappen does get the victory but we might see something similar as we saw in Coda maybe not a one second difference but maybe a five second difference between Hamilton and, and Norris, but j just a quick question, Marshall, I have to ask you because you and I talk so much about the front of the field. Who do you think is going to have a, a good showing at the Mexican Grand Prix and the Brazilian Grand Prix in the lower end of the field? I'm talking Haas, Williams, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri. Do you have anybody in mind? Yeah, uh, let me uh, just give me a, a second to look here and, and kind of refresh myself on some of the guys that have uh, I've sat pretty mid-pack because uh, I think one guy that I think stands out to me is if there's a place that he can attempt to prove me wrong and try to pick up points to stay out of Norris. I think Alonso could, even with a not great car, sneak his way back into the uh, into the top 10. Um, I would estimate probably an eighth or a ninth, because again, Brazil's just a track that there's a lot of, you know, experience factor for the guys that have run there a long time. Um, so I think he'll be, he'll be pretty solid there. Um, I've actually, 
a lot of people I think right now are a little bit low on Alfa Romeo, especially I've heard talk that in their battle for seventh and eighth, effectively in the constructors title, they might be the worst team in F1. And there's a lot of hate going to Valtteri Bottas right now. He's a guy that I, I you know, I, I just don't think gets enough respect. I think if they can put a little bit together, I know they have a couple things in mind for the end of the year. Cause that battle is essentially $35 million up in the air um, based on yeah. where teams finish towards the back end of the constructors. And I think Bottas is the kind of guy to get his team um, some points past Haas or Alpha Tauri. So I'm going to, I'm going to say maybe a sleeper guy is a guy like Bottas. To, I'm, I don't think top eight for sure. I think the top eight, nine is so contested right now between the top five teams that um, I think it's going to be close. Uh, but I, I give like Piastri, I think, a good shot. Speaking of Mexico, I'm going to say Mexico, Piastri, uh, back at the top five. I don't even know if that's a hot take anymore, but the way we saw the McLaren pace, especially Piastri versus the rest of the field at Coda, maybe people are a little bit low on Piastri. So I think watch Piastri to maybe um, get back in fourth, fifth in those competitive spots. And then, you know who's actually looked really solid? Oh. Put uh, put Pierre Gasly in the points for both Oh, races. yes. Uh, yes, I would he's like that battle with Ocon has, has been interesting. I know, obviously, Ocon had his side pod damage issue that uh, took him out of Kodo, whereas that would have been a little bit closer. Um, but he's in a hot run of form right now, and I think he's going to be encouraged to stay at a Lance Stroll. Something about P10 in the driver standings, I've noticed over the years, it's, it's always pretty competitive. So uh, to be in the top 10, I think, would be a great move for him to be the number one driver at Alpine. He hasn't had this in a while. <laughs> like, you know, he was sitting under Max all those yeah. years, hasn't really had the chance to be the guy. Since he was he in Alpha Tower for a while, and he, he wasn't really doing much. Obviously, yeah. he didn't want to race one, but... but after that it was just pretty much all downhill from there yeah maybe a sleeper like sixth or seventh the rest of the year but uh those are kind of my guys to watch lower field oh yeah um maybe a big uh guy i think perez is going to do very poorly at brazil um but i actually think uh carlos science is going to be the guy that i think he is going to kind of fall off the face of the earth in mexico um hmm. i'm going to predict flat out i think he finishes seventh or below and then I think, because I just had the podium this past week, he's in a good run of form. I think that ends at Mexico. I think it comes back in Brazil. I've watched him for years. He's been been really, really great at Brazil. And I think that Carl has some pace. So let's say top five in, in Brazil for him, but I don't even think top seven for, for Mexico. Yeah, speaking of number two drivers on particular teams, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I think Russell might not get a podium in these two races, just given how sometimes mm. it, it takes him a while to kind of get used to Mercedes' new upgrade packages. But um, one more thing I wanted to touch on before we uh, before we get out of here, uh, the, the the thing the thing that, that that frustrates me is is kind of like how we how we've had like different conversations about who we think is the worst team. I don't think it's Alpha Tauri anymore, even though that 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 seems to be coming up you know fairly frequently when I listen to like different pundits and 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 analysts talk about who they think the worst car on the on the grid is. I don't think it's the Alpha Tauri anymore. I might disagree with you on this one. I do think it's the Alpha Romeo, um, mm -hmm. but yeah. Or maybe even the Haas as well. I, I know they brought upgrade package to Dakota, but they they just look slow, man. And they're gonna have to maximize a lot of, you know, work into into next year's car. Cause like regardless of what they what they bring to, to certain tracks, it just doesn't work out for them. They're bad in the race. I know Hulkenberg's had pretty good qualifying, but that that that's been kind of uh slowed down over these last few races. And then again, yeah, I I, I just think with, with with Mexico and Brazil, like you and I can have conversations about, you know, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, like who we think is going to be, bring the best package, but we're, we haven't touched on on ones who, who who we think might actually stand out and win the race because we both know that it's it's probably going to be Verstappen in case you know he has yeah. a DNF, which is very unlikely. But yeah, I mean, I guess I guess even looking past the Brazilian Grand Prix, is there is there any one race that you that you think other than Vegas that there is a chance that Verstappen doesn't end up winning? Not to sound boring, but no. 
I, I, I don't think so. I, I think I think Vegas is the question. Again, back to a street circuit. New tracks don't tend to suit champions. That tends to be a nice upset every year. Right. Um, the only so reason I, I don't think so. What, the only reason I'm asking is because like I, I'm 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 excited by the idea that Coda might might be an indicator that Red Bull has slowed down in pace. Like we haven't emphasized that much in this podcast. Like when you and I looked at each other a few days after the race, we, we both said like, yo, that was a pretty good race. And I think it was because like the other two cars were, were, were so close to Verstappen, but then again, he ended up pulling it out in the end. So I, I, I'm also a little bit iffy on whether or not, um, we're actually going to see someone challenge, uh, Verstappen until the end of the season. But then again, see, you know, I, I agree. But what we were saying this after Singapore, right? We're like, oh, that Red Bull pace is going away. The other teams are catching up. And who's won the last three races since Verstappen. Then? Yeah. So it, when it happens, it happens. The best of all time, just find a way. And I'm not saying he is the best of all time, but definitely in the conversation. Very quickly before we go, uh, that Logan Sargent points thing is fraudulent. Uh, anybody that is fraudulent. like, oh, this justifies his whole career. <laughs> I, if anybody that thinks this justifies his whole career and justifies the place in F1 is like, oh, he's finally figuring it out. He finished no, on track not. ahead of six cars out of 20. That is not good enough for 10th. Two guys DNF'd. Three of them left the race. It was a war of attrition. He lost to his teammate at a track his teammate has like a thousand less races at in junior formula. Logan has so much more experience at Coda. He's still lost to him. And now people are saying this justifies anything. It's fraudulent points. I'm so sick of it. I know there has to be this narrative, but like, oh, these guys are getting better. He's not. I, he's not. I agree. I agree. That, that was a complete joke. Obviously, this is something like that we like to like we like to joke around on, but then this again, man, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll probably there. end up keeping that seat. But uh yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that driver lineup in 2024. But that's all the time we have for today, folks. We uh we're glad you joined us for today's episode of Mailbag Madness. I'm Alexa. And I'm Marshall. And we'll see you next week for episode three. Take care, guys. Have a good one.